Hello, and welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different cities, are at three different life stages, and have three different perspectives. They are excited to learn and grow alongside of you. This is a space full of love and acceptance, no judgment, because let's face it, we all sleep in our makeup. Please welcome Lauren, Megan, and Kristen. Hey, Lulu. Hi. Hi, listeners. We're here for another week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Sadly, Kristen is still out sick, and we just wanted to give an update on her real quick that she is having a bladder flare-up. I don't know if y'all are familiar with her bladder issues, but just keep her in your prayers for us. We know she's on the mend, and we do miss her on here. So we're looking forward to hopefully having her back next week. And also, happy Women's History Month. In honor of Women's History, we thought it would be a great week to have a wonderful guest on. So take a step back with us today to 1942 and hear the inspirational story from Karen Trigger's award-winning book, Filled with Joy, A Holocaust Story. This story is jaw-dropping with so much beauty intertwined. It is a reminder how even among our differences, an act of kindness throws out roots in all directions and the roots spring up and make new trees. It is also a wonderful reminder of the power of gratitude. We were so honored to have Karen Trigger on our podcast, and we can't wait for you to hear her story. So listen in. Thank you. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Karen, for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. If you would, just give us and our listeners, let's just take a step back and tell us more about yourself and your background, and then what led you to write this book and kind of just give us a little bit of that transition and and where you're at today. Sure. Uh, My pleasure. So I'm a Seattle native, Seattle, Washington, and I married into a family, married a man named Sheldon Goldberg, who I call Shlomo. That's his Hebrew name. And his family, his parents are both survivors of the Holocaust. And um, I'm an attorney by training and I practiced law for 25 years in the, mostly in the area of elder law. And, but really since I joined the Goldberg family and I learned about Sam and Esther and about their story and what happened to them, I always thought, wow, somebody needs to write this book. And I always thought, you know, one of the kids or maybe a grandchild or like somebody will do it because it just has to be done. And then time went on. I was busy. I raised four children, practicing law, living life. And nobody, nobody wrote the book. And so I was like, "Hmm." yeah, I know as my, so as my youngest daughter, who's actually named Esther for her grandmother, she, the Jewish, the Ashkenazic Jewish tradition is to name children for deceased relatives. And so the sad thing is that Esther, my mother-in-law died when I was pregnant with Esther. And so I knew that if, if she was a girl, that her name would be Esther. And she was indeed a girl and her name is Esther. So we have that as like a living, yeah, living wonderful memory of, of Esther Goldberg. And her name is Esther Goldberg because she goes by Goldberg. So it's a little, a little, but it's great. So anyway, (laughs) as, as she was in her last years of high school and then we, I could see in front of me the empty nest syndrome. And Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, this might be the opportunity that I've been looking for. And I decided to retire from my law practice and dedicate myself to researching and writing a book about my in-laws experience. And the whole thing took me three years 
and from start to finish. And what happened was, which was so remarkable, is that really as I dug and dug into their story, I learned a lot, a lot more about the Holocaust and a lot more about their their particular stories. But their story became, in this many crazy ways, my story. And the story that unfolded as I went on this journey of of digging and meeting people and learning and researching transformed my life in like so many fantastic ways and taught me so much about myself, about life and about people and humanity and and about which I'm sure we're going to talk to talk about as we get farther about gratitude and how to allow yourself to be grateful for what you have. Yeah, so that's that's what happened and it it was published in October of 2018. So it's been out in the world for a while and people are finding the story and the book itself incredibly powerful and meaningful for them in their lives. So I'm just couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah. Wow. What a story. I can't wait to dive in a little bit more, but let's go back a little bit. And I'm just curious how you dove into, because I feel like a lot of people out there might have an idea of writing a book or an idea for anything for that matter. How did you and what steps did you take to get go from retiring from law into actually in, in, taking action and, and writing a book? <laughs> it was a very interesting mental process because I had to shift mm-hmm. from practice of law, going to my office every day, having clients, doing all that, to like creating a home office that was comfortable and First thing I had to do, I felt very important, was to ask the three children, my husband has two sisters, to ask them all for permission. Because like, I felt like, I don't know if you know the Yiddish word chutzpah. It, chutzpah is a Yiddish no. word, which, which um, it's hard to translate in English, but it really means like, how dare you? Like, what, yeah. gall- <laughs> like, what, what, what right do you have to like step forward and say, hey, I'm going to write a story about your parents who are dead and put it out into the world, you know, like, so that the Yiddish right. word to teach you a good Yiddish word is chutzpah and you have to, ch, you got to get the, ch. Okay. so chutzpah. The chutzpah, chutzpah. yeah, you got it. <laughs> so I, I had conversations with my husband, of course, and then uh, my sister's in law and they all said, okay. And cause you know, it was not an easy, okay, because there were family secrets that, I had to dig into. And that was tough, much tougher for them than for me. It was tough for me, but it was really tough for them, really hard. So Mm -hmm. they gave me permission. And then honestly, I started, the first thing that I would recommend to anyone to do and the first thing that I did was I just went back to what I already had. So my father-in-law did a, an interview about his experience in the Holocaust, and, my, and we had it transcribed. It was in Yiddish. He spoke Yiddish. But my husband translated it a long, long time ago because we decided we had to translate it because otherwise none of the grandchildren don't speak Yiddish, and they would never understand it. So I had that, yeah. and I had, I had some, an interview that my mother-in-law did, one interview. She did not like to talk about her experiences in the Holocaust, but my sister-in-law one time got her to sit down and talk about it a little bit. So I went back to what I had. So it's just start with what you have and then look at what you have and say, okay, what questions do I 
want to have answered based on what I already know. And it could be from photos. It could be from old letters. It could be from interviews. It could be from stories. Sometimes if you really have nothing to start with, you have to go find people who in the family, like some of the older people or somebody who remembers and can start you somewhere. You got to start with something tangible. But once you get something to like Mm -hmm. hang your hat onto, it's just, you just follow every lead. And that's really, I think part of my success was I followed every single lead like doggedly. Like I'm a, law school taught me a lot of things, but it really taught me how to research and follow a lead. Like you have something, go there, Mm -hmm. it leads you somewhere else, go there, go there, go there, go there. And then that's really what I would suggest. And don't be discouraged by that. Sometimes it's goes, it's a slow go because sometimes you have to mm-hmm. step back and step forward and step back and step forward, but you'll get there. Beca- and, and the picture that you put together when, as you fill in the pieces of the puzzle, cause it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. Once you see, mm-hmm. step back and see the whole picture, you're like, wow, wow, wow. So Yeah. So that's cool. So now, so you, uh, I didn't answer your question before about like what I'm doing now. So now I'm researching my own family because one of the things I learned oh, in this cool. process was that the importance of telling family histories and we all have families, like we all have a family story. You may not know it all, but we ha- it's there. And when you just <laughs> dig a little bit under the surface, you're going to find crazy, crazy things. And like, I mean, like I found out, I'm not going to say any names, but I found out that my great <laughs> my great grandfather was having an affair with his ex sister in law. Okay, oh no! Obviously, they're all they're all dead now. But like, I was like, what? Anyway, so you find crazy things. But that's how, what I would suggest for people to start, and that's how I started. I looked at what I had, and then I just slowly went, and then the world just opened up. It's so yeah. cool! What a legacy to write a book about that. And I was going to mention my daughter. Joe is named after our my husband's grandpa who passed when I was pregnant with her. Oh, um, so wow. I love that. <laughs> I love that that's a tradition. And then I don't know if you knew, but our mom passed in um, October in a car accident, and we had a niece born on her birthday this year. So I totally that tradition that you were talking about. I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. I had never heard of it. So a lot of connections there, but I just love... I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been... It's been really hard, but I think that a lot of what we're going to dive into with you today is so applicable to so many different life situations, including that with our mom and just how gratitude can play such a big role. So in your diving into learning about your in-laws, I'm so curious and would love to hear just a little bit more about their story and about their trauma and what and what they lived through. And when you were learning this and writing this, how did it affect you? In what ways did it affect you in the process? And then also maybe once you were through it, how what things did you take with you that you still implement today? When I was in the middle of it, there were days because the Holocaust is not a, a lot of a very awful things happened during the Holocaust. Yeah. And there were days where I just had to put my head down and, and cry for a while. But there were other days where I was dancing around my office and being so happy that I figured something out or put two and two together. And, but I'll, I'll share for the sake of time, I'll share what I think is the most remarkable part of the story. Sure. 
both of my in-laws, Sam and Esther, it was Sam Goldberg and Esther Vishnu was her maiden name. They were both lived in small towns in Poland. They grew up in relig- Jewish, relig- Jewishly religious homes and they had large families. They each had, one had five siblings, one had six siblings. And when the war began, things went bad very quickly. And to jump to, I'm just going to jump to 1942. I know that's crazy from 39 to 42. A lot of stuff happened between that time, including Esther losing her whole family, her parents and all of her siblings were shot into a pit Mm. outside of a town called Slunim by the Nazis. And she was saved from that because she was in the hospital suffering from, from typhus. And so she wasn't rounded up with that, with those, with that group of people. And she was saved and she ended up going back to her hometown of Stuchik and she lived with some people there. She was like, I'm going home. This is awful. I'm going back home. So she did. And so, but when she was there, when you got to around what year, it was around September of 1942, the Nazis came to that town and surrounded it and ca- captured everyone there. All the Jews, primarily a Jewish town. They captured them and took them to the nearby death camp of Treblinka, which is where my father-in-law's story is um, a big part of that happens there. But she escaped that also because she hid in an attic of a house and she hid up there for three, for three days. She wasn't found. A lot of people who hid were, were found, but she wasn't found. And afterwards she had no food, no water for three days. And she came out and she started going around the town and the outskirts of town to the Polish neighbors and like knocking on their door and saying, I'm starving. I have to hide. Can you help me? And over and over again, she was turned away and they said, no, get away. And either they just wanted to be rid of her or they threatened that they would turn her into the Germans. And there was just nobody who would help her until finally she went a little bit farther Mm -hmm. out of town and she knocked on the door of someone that she knew from from her life and from business in the town named Helena Stish. And she knocked on the door and she told Helena what happened. And she said, I'm starving and I have to hide somewhere. Can you help me? And Helena said, yes, I will help you. Even though it's inc- it was incredibly dangerous mm-hmm. for, for non-Jewish Poles to be helping Jews. They, if they would be caught, they would be killed and their whole families would be killed. It was just, it was awful. But she stood up. And she said, yes, I'll help you. And she gave her food and she let her hide around in their barn. In this barn, there were two families, the same, they were brothers that lived next to each other and they both helped, both families helped. So Esther hid around that area. Wow. So we're now in like basically the fall of 1942 and into 1943. In the meantime, step back and Sam's family- And how old was she at this point? The year when the war started, she was 19. So now she's like 22, 23. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's about 20. They're both around the same mm-hmm. age, 22, 23 years old, Sam and Esther. Um, they didn't know each other at all growing up or any time until, until the Holocaust. And then Sam's family, his siblings, in an ironic twist of fate, his siblings were murdered in that same pit where Esther's family was murdered because they, were, they had also gone to that same town. I don't know if they knew each other. I have no idea about that. But I know that that's where they were killed. His parents were killed Hmm. a little bit later and we're not sure exactly how they were killed, but either in a death camp or just shot. It's unclear. I don't really have good data about that. 
But in the meantime, Sam left his parents um, after a whole bunch of crazy things happened to him. And he ended up in the town where Esther was living, although they didn't know each other, Stuchik. And he got captured by the Nazis there early on in June of 1942. And he was taken to the place that near, it's really close by called Treblinka, but there was nothing there. It was just an open field. And he and a bunch of other Jewish men were brought and forced into slave labor to build the camp. They were forced to build the death camp itself. It's, it's mind boggling. Oh God. Right. So he was Mm -hmm. there and then he ended up being part of the 800 person workforce that the Nazis enslaved to make them run, help run the camp. So he ended up being there for 13 months where, you know, I'm going to tell you something that I learned while I was doing my research that it's awful. So be prepared for something awful. At Treblinka, Mm -hmm. over the course of 13 months, basically 12 months, 870,000 humans were murdered in the gas chamber gas chambers, plural. Sick. And from, but wait, from the time they got off the train, because they came by train, until the time that they were dead in the gas chamber was 90 minutes. Hmm. Oh my God. It's mind-blowing. It's yeah. horrible. So yep. it's horrible. So the fact that, that my father-in-law Sam survived for 13 months is just remarkable. And he That's ended up getting getting a his job at at the death camp was that he was the head supervisor of the laundry, and the laundry was a really good job as as jobs go at a death camp because um, yeah. because he was inside and in the cold of winter, mm-hmm. it's very hard to survive if you have a job that's outdoors, and that's, so he yeah. he was indoors, and so he survived that. But an, a very important part of the history of Sam Goldberg is that he was part of a very small group, 50 men who got together and decided to, to plan and execute an uprising. And the uprising happened August 2nd, 1943. And they, they blew up the camp and they blew a hole in the, in the barbed wire fence and everybody just ran out and he ran and he ran and ran and ran and ran. And he ended up he tried to go back to that town where he came from. He kind of like, oh, I think it's that direction, you know? And he kept running, kept running. And he ended up trying to find a place to hide in the forest. Well, that same forest where he was kind of looking for a place to hide was the same place that Esther had been hiding for a year already. And that's where they met. Wow. He find, they find each other. They, <laughs> I know. They find each other. They realize right away that they're both Jewish. They both speak Yiddish and they start talking. And he said, I just escaped from Treblinka. And she's like, what? Oh my gosh. And he said, they're chasing after us. I have to hide somewhere. So she takes him over to her, what she called her angel, the Stish family, Helena. Mm -hmm. And she says, this man just escaped from Treblinka. You have to, we have to hide. They're chasing all the escapees. And Helena looked at her and like, are you out of your mind? If, I, if you hide in my yeah. barn, they're searching everywhere. They're going to find you and they're going to kill you for sure. And then they're going to come and kill me and my, my four children. Somehow, oh. somehow, Esther, she was a golden tongue woman and she convinced her to let them hide <laughs> in the barn. And they hid in the barn for three days and three nights until the, the big search kind of calmed down. And then Sam decided to stay and hide with Esther he knew his siblings were dead. 
he was pretty sure his parents were dead. He, he had nowhere to go. So he stayed with her and they decided to dig a pit. They went out deeper into the forest and they dug a pit in the earth and they lived in that pit for a year. Except when it was really oh the coldest gosh. months. The coldest oh. months they lived in one of the barns of the Stish family. And then they lived like that, like animals in a, in a hole in the ground. It was camouflaged on top. And the Stish family came and brought them food every day. And without their help of this Christian family, they never, ever would have survived. It was hard enough, but they for sure wouldn't have made it without the help of these angelic saints, honestly. And they were yeah. they were liberated in the summer of 1944. And I don't know exactly like how they decided to get married. Was there a nice proposal or... <laughs> Just like it's obvious we're going to get married and live our life together because we went through all this together. I don't really know. I kind of made that part up in the book. But um, yeah. but they got married in December and they were married for wow. a, really, a, really long, a really long time and uh, came to America yeah. in, 19, in 1949 after living in the DP camps for four years. Wow. Gosh. What a story. And I just... I'm just so grateful to you and I'm sure your husband and his siblings are too, just to, it's so special that you're able to, um, just share their story and keep it alive. And, and even for people like us in our generation and the generations to come, it's, I don't know, it's just so special to hear, uh, not firsthand, but you know, secondhand, um, of just these true life things. And sometimes when you're so far removed from it, it's just so hard to imagine. But anyway, I just thank you for sharing and telling this story in such a beautiful way. So how, I, and I think, I mean, I cannot even, even begin to imagine what they went through. And even as you're talking, you know, it just sounds so, um, what's the word? Just so unreal. Just unreal. Sounds, yeah, yeah. Horrible. And it's like, how do you keep faith during something like that, you know, like, I just wish we could ask them, like, how did you keep going in that pit? Cause that, you know, we all think we're in a pit right now and it went through COVID, but that doesn't even compare, you know, to what they right. went through. And, you know, I know everybody's experience is different, but I'm just like, I wonder how like day to day, like what they said to each other to like keep each other going. <laughs> yeah. And to focus on what they did have. And so, yeah, I think what would, what would your input be on that as far as how, if you do have any information of how they did it? Um, but also how can we apply that to our privileged lives over here where, you know, we feel like this COVID pit is, you know, hard to crawl out of sometimes. Yeah, I totally, I agree. I agree with that, but yes. And I agree with the juxtaposition and that's, you know, I don't really know what they talked about on a day-to-day -day basis. All I know, and I wondered many times, like what did they do all day? Cause they only came out of the pit or the barn at night cause it was too dangerous to come out in the daytime. And all I know is that mm -hmm. they had a deck of cards. And the only reason Aww. that I know that, the only reason that I know that is because in 2016, I went to Poland with my family, my husband and our four children, and, and actually a son-in-law. And we went because through some crazy things that happened to me in my research, I was able to locate the three surviving children. Now, then they were in their 80s and one woman was 90 of the Stish family. Wow. 
who knew Salmonestra, wow. who were there, you know, they were there this and this. And so we went and met them and we spent the whole day with them. And I had a videographer wow. that day who just videoed everything. It was a brilliant idea that my husband had. So He's like, cool. we got to get a videographer. So it was amazing. We talked to them for hours and hours. And one of them told me about the cards because they would sometimes go and visit the kids as kids. These two men who were in their 80s now, they were like nine and 11 at the time. Jan and Genyuk are their names. And they talked about going to visit them, seeing how they were doing in the pit. And Ganyak was the one who was in charge of bringing them food in the pail. They had a, a pail and they would bring it. And it was because he would be the most, the least conspicuous. He could just pretend he was kind of playing in the forest. And because they weren't just yeah. hiding from the Nazis, they were also hiding from their Polish neighbors. But as we were talking, because the Polish neighbors would, would turn them in, they would find Jews and turn them in. They would get a reward from the Germans. They would get money and sugar oh, wow. and all kinds of things for turning in Jews. So- which is an awful idea, but it really oh, happened. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So anyway, we're sitting there for hours talking, asking questions. They're asking us questions, this whole thing. And then they say, well, listen, when we're done, if you want, we'll take you out to the forest and we'll show you the pit that your parents lived in, he, he says to my husband, oh, Shlomo. Wow. And we're all like, what? What, what did you just yeah. say? Oh, my gosh. How could the pit still be there? And so he's like, oh, it's still there. And so this man who was 85 in 2016, he's a little older now, he walked through this path in the forest like, like he was nine years old. Like he's just had Aww. walked that path so many times before. And we walked and walked deeper into the forest and the trees, like one of my kids, I think my oldest daughter commented, like we've, we've seen different like Holocaust movies, you know, here and there. And, and in those Holocaust movies, yeah. the trees always look like, like kind of like thin sticks that stick up. And my daughter was like, yeah. this looks like a Holocaust movie. And I'm like, yeah, but it's real. So we walked yeah. out into the forest yeah. and then he just stopped and he's like points to this hole in the ground, which, you know, it's it was degraded. It was filled with leaves. It was old, been 75 years. But you could see the outline of a pit. And it, we were all just like our mouths wow. just dropped and yeah, yeah. So, but I will say that that moment, we stood there for like five minutes, honestly, just in silence, like crying. But that yeah. moment, I, yeah. I, something inside of me changed, something really deep. And mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, a, a privileged life in, Seattle had a house. I went to a nice school. I had nice parents. I, you know, I had an easy life and I still, thank God, I still have a wonderful, lovely life. But I saw inside that pit how I don't appreciate what I have and how I take life for yeah. granted. And that's the moment where I decided that gratitude would be a big part of my life as I live the rest of my life, hopefully many more years, but that gratitude would be a daily practice and a daily experience because I knew that when we left there, we were going to go back all exhausted, of course, and head back to Warsaw where we were staying in a, in a nice hotel. I was going to have a bed to sleep in. When I got home, I was going to have a house, a fridge full of food, a closet full of clothes, and I just thought, wow, they had nothing, nothing 
Mm. And yet they survived and they survived with grace and joy and, and, and just true grit. And, um, I was like, wow, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to change the way I, I walk in the world. And that was like a really, really big moment for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think even just hearing the story, it, it like hits you so hard. So I can't imagine staring into the pit and realizing like all the sacrifices they made and then the beautiful family that you guys have from it is just such an amazing story. And I'm so glad that you are telling this story and I hope it gets made into a movie one day because I, I want everybody to hear it because it's just so impactful. Uh, <laughs> but how do you kind it really of... Is. and I Yeah. Go ahead, Lauren. No, I was just going to say as you were, as you were giving the details, I have a nine-year-old boy and I couldn't help but just think, you know, even God bless Helena and her family. And it just kind of crossed my mind, even the sacrifice that she made and, and her perspective on it all. And how do you communicate the severity and, you know, the realness of what, what is going on in their world at that time? And for those sweet boys to, to go out there and just probably do as they were told. I I don't know. I just couldn't help, but as you were talking, put myself there and I just got the chills. I mean, it's just such an incredible story, but I think Megan, you might've been leading to this question, but you know, how can we learn from these historical events and apply lessons into our life now? Well, you know, history has much to teach us if we, if we're open to it. And I think that what happened in Nazi Germany is a lesson to the world that I think we have learned a little bit of, but not fully, because even since the genocide of the Jews in Germany and Poland and Eastern Europe, our world has experienced mass killing and mass murders of people just because of who they are, not for any for no, for no real reason, because of who they are and hatred yeah. of the other. And I think that we can learn that how we live in the world, how we treat other people is key. Because if you treat other people yeah. as the enemy, as someone who's not worthy of life even, or who's worthy of not being, not being given kindness and being treated properly – the world becomes a terrible pl- can become very quickly a terrible place but if you're helena right if you see each human as a spark of godliness within them which is how we are all created then each person becomes a beautiful person to be treated with kindness respect and dignity and if we all treat each other like that what a beautiful world we it, we could all create. So I think that for me, yeah. that's a huge lesson. And then of course, this lesson of, of gratitude, which is to open up your life to seeing it. If you just open your eyes and pause in your life for just a few moments, you can say, wow, I am so grateful for and fill in the blank. And, and then like you get so much actual joy from recognizing the gratitude and doing something about it. It's a little bit, there's some selfish aspect to it because like, let's say someone does something nice for you and you you call them or you write them an email or a thank you note and you're like, hey, 
that was so nice. Thank you so much for, for doing that. I'm really grateful. Then A, that person feels mm-hmm. fabulous. And then you actually feel great too. So gratitude has a yeah. lot of <laughs> a lot of special healing qualities that will help the world in so you for sure. each individual, but also the world in so many ways. I love that. Yeah. In our our last episode, we actually talked about like flipping it on your head. Sometimes you think, you know, self-care is doing something for yourself, but really uh, when you do something for somebody else, it actually just benefits everybody in the situation. So I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. It's a little, I think we were saying it's like upside down thinking, but it just, it's truth. And I think that just the daily practice of even the smallest things, like what you're saying, I think when we open our eyes and hearts to just seeing, you know, the little things in life, then we're able to really, it changes, it changes our attitude and perspective and how we see others. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I started a practice a while ago of writing in a daily, writing a daily journal, gratitude journal, which, you know, it's, a lot of people are talking about it. Oh, write a gratitude journal. It, it is whatever you make of it, of course. But then I decided, yes. and I decided this actually before COVID set in, because once COVID set in, everyone all of a sudden started talking about gratitude, which is fabulous. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I had, I had been planning to launch this daily, 60-second daily flash briefing, it's called, but it's like a 60-second podcast. And, um, and I was like, wow, with COVID, maybe – Maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe there's like just too much noise in the air. And, you know, it was, it was last, last February, last March. And I talked to somebody about it who was helping me set it up. And, and this person was like, no, no, this is perfect. Go for it. Don't, don't pause it. Just do it. So I've been doing it since last March. And it's a daily podcast called Gratitude in a Minute. And it's, you can get it like on, on Alexa or on any, really any podcast. And it's 60 seconds. So it doesn't take a long time. And it's, it's a real challenge for me. So it, be, it becomes like a practice for me. What, um, what am I going to write? It's like, honestly, it's 170 words that how am I going to convey something that I've learned? And the, my goal was in, not always, can't talk about the Holocaust all the time, but to draw in this idea of the Holocaust and using that as a juxtaposition to our lives to help us to find the gratitude. Because I think that when you look at something so severe, so awful, then mm-hmm. you're like, wow, I am so lucky. I am so grateful for what I have. So I, I mix yeah, it up with totally all kinds of other stuff, but there's always a little bit of every, you know, every week or two weeks, there's a Holocaust something that I throw in there. So, but I find the gratitude in the idea and then it's like me sharing my gratitude journal kind of. So it's, it's been a really yeah. wonderful project. And yeah, I welcome all of your readers to go find it. Gratitude in a minute. Yeah, for thank sure. you for sharing that. I love that. That's so cool. And I'll tell you just in this, the few minutes that you've shared with us, I I feel so encouraged by Sam and Esther's story and Helena and her family. And I will for sure be thinking of them during each of my mornings as I'm writing out my gratitudes. And if I'm ever struggling, then Sam and Esther is coming straight to my mind. So I know that I know that if you've touched me, then I'm not the only one. And so we just, again, thank you for sharing this incredible story. It's so eye opening and touching. And like we've already said, I had chills more than once throughout our conversation. So thank you for sharing your podcast. What else is there that you would like to share that we haven't hit on? And then also 
um, share with our listeners where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. Well, I have a website. It's uh, my name, KarenTriger.com. And the book itself is called My Soul is Filled with Joy, A Holocaust Story. And you can buy it on Amazon. It's in paperback and Kindle version as well as an audiobook. And the woman who I, I found this fantastic woman to do the, the reading, to narrate the book, she does a great job. She throws in like accents and she's just, she just did oh, the cool. most beautiful job. I love it. Anyway, so if you like listening, so it'll be cool. a great experience for you. That'll be me. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna get it. And today. I have a blog. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I have a blog that is. Um, you can find a connection to my blog on the on my website, and there's tons of interesting information about Sam and Esther and about me and stuff like that. So if you want to learn more, that's a good place to to start. And yeah, that's that's what I've been working on, and it's been a project of love and and joy. And the reason the book has the word joy in the title is because. Um, one of the grandchildren of the Stish family, when I first met him, we met like by FaceTime. He was in Poland and mm -hmm. I was here. And I told him a you know, part of the story about his grandparents that he didn't know. And he said in Polish, I had a, a friend who was translating and he said, my heart is full and my soul is filled with joy. Aww. And she's translating that to me. He's a, he's a devout Catholic. And very, very, very devout man. And I wrote that down and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. And so later when I like wanted to think of a title, <clears throat> that came back to me because the idea that you can find joy in researching a Holocaust story is crazy, but that's actually what happened mm -hmm. to me. So I thought that it really reflected both sides of the story, both the, both the Polish side and, and my side. So yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, it's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I think yeah, on beautiful. both sides, just like the joy comes from being so proud that the people that, you know, are your heritage are such, you know, wonderful, amazing people to look up to. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we like to finish with a challenge for ourselves and our listeners. So if you have something for us, then we would love for you to offer that up. I do. I would love to challenge each of you to pause in your daily life and find something that you are grateful for each day. It doesn't have to be large. It can be small, but allow yourself to open up to the idea of it and do it daily because it builds up to become something really powerful in your life. So my challenge is find something every day that you are grateful for and just tell yourself. You could tell someone else if you want to, but tell yourself. Make it, make it for yourself and that will be something that you will then find that to be meaningful and, and then it will just, it will move out into the world. It's just a beautiful thing. I love it. Well, thank you so much again. We do like to end, officially end our episodes with a, a little prayer. Is that okay with you if I say a prayer as we close out? Absolutely. Sure. Okay, cool. Dear God, I just wanted to say thank you so much for bringing Karen into our lives so that we could share her with our listeners. Thank you for Sam, Esther, and Helena's story to be, you know, just such an inspiration for all of us to really focus on gratitude. And thank you for your love. And we just appreciate you so much in all things. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thank Karen. You. Thank you, listeners, for 
coming and joining us another week. And we know that you will just feel so inspired and feel the joy that Karen is spreading. So thank you guys. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to another week of Girl I Slept in My Makeup. If you like us, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about us or get in touch with us, go to our website, girlisleptinmymakeup.com, where you'll also find links to our Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And yeah, make it a great week. God bless.